Welcome to the Emmanuel Message Podcast. For more information about us, check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook or Instagram at kenosha.church. At Emmanuel, we are not perfect people, but people made new through Jesus. But what does it mean to biblically and practically live a new life in Jesus? Today, we'll unpack Romans 6 on what it means to be free from sin and live for Jesus in all areas of life. Enjoy the message. We are going back into uh, Empires Volume 2. Uh, last week, we talked about what it means to live free, all right? If you missed that, you're going to want to go back and hear that, because today, we've teed up the conversation, and we're going to talk about what it means to live new, what it means to live new. Now, if you've been here for more than just a second, you know that our tagline here at Emmanuel Kenosha Church is that we are not a perfect people, but we are what? People made new, right? It's on the shirts, it's on the bumper stickers, we say it every week, right? And we don't want it to be something that's just a platitude. We want it to be something we really believe. It's part of our DNA here at Emmanuel. Whether you've grown up in the church your whole life, whether you've been disconnected from church most of your life, or this is the first time you've been in church, we want you to know that there is no perfect people. We don't want you coming in the door and putting on the, you know, the pompous, like I'm in church now, right? We want you to connect with God in a real way and place your life at the altar and know and trust God that he can meet you where you are at and he's gonna take you where he is going. And so uh, that is what we hope is not only a core value, but the DNA of who we are as Emmanuel Kenosha Church. And so how do you live new? Again, last week we talked about what it meant to live free, freedom which comes from grace. Grace is that undeserved favor that God gives you when you receive him as savior. This favor doesn't mean that you still live for yourself or that you try to prove yourself Uh, by keeping certain standards, but grace enables you to freely uh, receive Jesus Christ in your life and to grow in Christ. When you place your faith and trust in Jesus, you are what the Bible says, born again, all right? You are born again. How many of you heard that before? I'm just born again, right? And so uh, it's a term that I don't hear as often anymore as maybe is what I did in the the 90s, but it is a biblical term. You are born again when you place your faith and trust in Jesus. Uh, what's that mean? Well, let's demonstrate it this way. Um, if you're here today, I want to uh, just give you a spoiler alert. If you're, if you're here today, every single one of you was born, all right? Congratulations, right? Every single one of you has a birthday. Every single one of you was born into this world a crying, cute baby. Everybody say, ah, right? Ah, right? That's what everybody said when they saw you, right? Every single one of you... Uh, was a cute baby, right? But the biggest tragedy would be this, if you stayed a cute baby, right? If you look like a baby and you're 30 or 40, 50, 60, 70 years old, you'd be like, what is going on here? In fact, babies in their first few months grow faster than any other time in their life. In fact, babies need 16 to 17 hours of sleep. Doesn't mean consecutive hours of sleep, right? Moms, new moms in the room, right? But... They need to eat every two to three hours, right? They're very, very needy. They need to eat every two to three hours. Now, when Alice and I had our first, uh, Elias, back in 2011, we were so excited. We were so excited for him to reach his benchmarks. He was born a little early, so he was this cute, small baby. In fact, here's a picture of him. That's Elias, right? 
He was only like, how, 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 seven, seven, but then he lost a bunch of weight, right? Yeah, so, but anyway, he was really small for his age, and we just thought he was so cute. We'd take him into places, and people immediately would stop, like, oh, look at that baby. I'm like, I know, he's so little, and he's so cute. But every doctor's appointment we went to, uh, we noticed he wasn't growing. Uh, he was, at, I think, at best, 3% on the growth chart. Sometimes we're like, we think he's on the chart. We think maybe the 3% was kind of a gimme. Right, And so we realized, okay, uh, this cuteness isn't cute any longer. We, w- we want to see him grow. In fact, the doctors uh, said that he was having a hard time holding food down, and they labeled him as a failure-to-thrive baby. And so we had to go to different specialists. We had to go up to Children's in Milwaukee. And finally, it just all came down to that uh, we needed to thicken up his milk with formula. So basically, every meal that he received was uh, two or sometimes three times the calories that we would have normally. And so, instead of having two to three, uh, instead of having eating every two to three hours, uh, you know, it was like he was eating on the hour. And it didn't take long. In fact, take a look at this. You had your before, you had your after pics. Here he was. Oh, yeah. He thickened up. All right? In fact, uh, Pastor Tom labeled him Chunky Chunkerton at the time. So, uh, kids, he started to thrive. And you know what? It came with celebration because he was growing. You know, that's exactly what happens when we meet Jesus. Uh, we start off as a baby, but we're meant to grow. We're meant to live in uh, who Jesus Christ is. You see, in the book of John, we won't be there today, so you can just look at this on the screen. I'll tell you where to go in just a bit. In the book of John, we see Jesus met a Pharisee in the night. His name was Nicodemus. And Nicodemus had a number of questions he wanted to ask Jesus. Uh, He didn't want to be seen because he was afraid what his other Pharisee friends would think about it. So he's afraid of what other people thought. So he met Jesus in the night to ask questions. And it led down to this, basically, who are you and what are you here to do? And Jesus said in John 3, 3, Jesus replied, truly I tell you, unless someone is, here it is, born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So Nicodemus is thinking about this. He's he's taking, hanging on every word, and his response is classic. How could one be born again? Like he's literally thinking this. The thought is absurd. I mean, if you think about it, it's like be born again. If you've not spent any time in the church world, if you've never heard that term, you're like, I don't know about that. I think I'll skip that, okay? But Jesus responded to the confusion. John chapter three, verse five. Jesus answered, truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. You see, to be born again has everything to do, not with going back into your mother's womb, thank you, uh, has everything to do with placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. When you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are made new. You are made new to live new. You are born again into the purposes, the plans that God is going to carry out through you. And most importantly, when you're born again, you no longer stand as an enemy of God. You no longer stand in condemnation because of your sin. You are free to the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Amen? This is what we are made for as followers of Christ Uh, Whether you're a follower of Christ, whether you're an atheist, uh, uh, whether you're something in between, I want you to know you were made for the purposes of Jesus. You were made to to know God in a personal way. Now, not everybody will. In fact, the Bible says the road is wide and and many are on it that leads to destruction. The Bible is very clear that most people will not live in a personal relationship with God. 
Although Jesus said that his, his will that everybody not perish, that everybody knows him on a personal level, but not everybody will. You are not born again if you don't receive Jesus personally. Born again, being born again gives you a new nature, a new life. It gives you that new beginning. Now, living in a new life doesn't mean that you're perfect, right? And I think this is what is a turnoff to maybe some people when they go to church for the first time. They feel like they have to be perfect or they're around people that never admit their faults or, or they claim that uh, they're better than what they really are in their personal life. Listen, being made new doesn't mean you're perfect, doesn't mean you have everything figured out, but instead it's standing on the foundation of the one who is perfect and who does have everything figured out. It's the Lord God Almighty. And it's only through Jesus that we can thrive. Now this flies in the face of cultural wisdom, right? Cultural wisdom uh, that's even preached in many churches across America today. It was, they, they tell you to find yourself, to dig deep into your heart and find your true self. Find your best life now is all upon you. It's about you. It's about you. It's about you. All these you-focused sermons or you-focused worldly psychology, it's not leading us anywhere better, is it? All I gotta know is, is when I'm having a bad day, the last person I need to do is look into myself because I know I'm already having a bad day, right? Any solution, any way of life that's devoid of Jesus will not lead you to that new life. You can't be new if there's no Jesus in you or in the equation. So what does a new life in Jesus look like? And this is why now we're gonna go to Romans, Romans chapter six. We're gonna look at what new life looks like. Romans chapter six, verse 12. If you are with us on a week-by-week -week basis or you're regular here, I encourage you to open up your Bibles now, your physical Bibles or your YouVersion Bible app. Uh, if you uh, are new, the words will be on the screen. But again, we want you to get in your Bibles, take notes, you will not Remember it, all right? You will not remember it. So I'm seeing some people right now that are just here every week like, ain't gonna do it, ain't gonna do it. Just do it, all right? So anyway, open your Bibles. You can do it, all right? Here's the main idea this morning. To live new is less about you and more about Jesus. To live new is less about you and more about Jesus. So we're gonna unpack three supporting ideas from this main point. To live new frees you from sin's reign. To live new frees you to live under Christ's reign. And to live new frees you to live for eternal purposes now. So let's take a look at the first one. To live new frees you from sin's reign. Let's go to Romans chapter six, verse 12. Romans six, verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. And do not offer any parts of sin as weapons for unrighteousness, but as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourself to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law, but under grace. Notice that, that if you're in Christ, you're no longer under the law, but you're under grace. Grace is that undeserved favor that Jesus gives you when you place your faith and trust in him alone. In Christ, you're no longer controlled by sin. You're no longer controlled by the law. You're under control by the grace of Jesus. Being made, made new and living new means something has changed in you. 
specifically something that controls you, has changed. Now, this is where someone says, I'm not controlled by anybody. I'm my own, I'm, I'm my own self. I'm an independent person. Well, you're probably not gonna like the message today then, because that's not true. No matter how free you feel, you are still being led by something. Let me say that again. No matter how free you feel in your life, no matter how independent you feel, you're still being controlled, you're still being motivated by something. Did you know that? Whether it be ideologies, people, tasks, your personal expectations, your addictions, whatever it is, there are things in our heart right now that are motivating us, that, dare I say, even controlling uh, the directions that we are going in life. But the Bible gives us a very specific word, a very specific word that is controlling us. You ready? Here it is. Romans chapter 6, verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. What is reigning? The word is sin. Sin. Now, I, here's the deal. Sin is a very uh, controversial word. If you don't know Jesus in a personal manner, according to Romans chapter 6, verse 12, sin is reigning in your heart. And for many followers of Christ this morning, sin is tempting you for it to sit back on the throne and reign in your heart. Remember, as a follower of Christ, you are not to be mastered by sin. You are not under the law, but grace. You know, the law, or any law for that matter, it provokes sinful desires inside of our hearts. It informs us, the law. Jesus said the law is not bad. Paul says the law, the Old Testament law, it's not bad. It informs us of what is bad. The law does not make you good. The law informs you of how bad we are and how we need a remedy. And that remedy is the perfect remedy, Jesus Christ. We don't like the law. We don't like boundaries. When I think of rules that absolutely get me, and I know there are rules that absolutely get you, uh, for me, it's really dumb airline rules, all right? I don't know about you, but I just lose my mind every time I fly, right? And there was one particular, like, well, let me just put it this way, right? It used to be they give you everything and it was kind of a nice ride. Now it's like, okay, you gotta pay for what position you get onto the plane. You gotta pay for your bag. You gotta pay for the pretzels, right? I mean, they're gonna start charging us for air eventually, right? You want clean air here? You want the little filter? All right, that's $10 more. Like, are you kidding me? It's like a shakedown every time I get on that plane. Well, there was one particular flight across the Atlantic, mind you, where they decided they were going to charge for my one personal item. And I'd already thought, like, maybe I could put all my clothes into the personal item and then I can avoid the $100 bag fee to get across the Atlantic. But no, they were going to ban the personal item. And at this point, I'm like, I'm going rogue, all right? I know it's been welling up here. I know these laws have been well welling up. I'm going rogue. So I said, hey, Allison. She's like, yeah? I was like, um, hey, could you get, the, you know that big, big, gigantic, like, winter coat that I have? It's like, yeah. I was like, coats are still free on the airlines. I just looked it up. It's like, okay. I want you to sew the bottom of the coat between the liners. Yeah, why? Don't worry about it. So she went and she sewed up the bottom of the liner of this big, heavy coat. And you know what I did? I stuffed all my belongings, all my clothes for a week, everything I needed inside my coat. Because guess what? They said that you could have coats, right? Never mind you, it was over 50 degrees the day I decided to wear this coat. So when I got out of the car and I walked in O'Hare, oh yeah, it was, it was happening, all right? All my belongings were in my coat. And as I was going through security, I realized, I don't know how much of a good idea this is. Everybody's looking at me, right? 
Well, I made it through security. I got onto the plane. All the stewardess were giving me the look like, oh my goodness, what is that, right? And so I'm sitting down and I'm realizing, I have to do this all across the ocean. I have to walk around this way when I get, get over to this conference in Europe. And as I'm getting halfway over the Atlantic, I realized this was a really bad idea. <laughs> I all to save $50, right? But why did I do it? Why did I go to the absurd? I went to the absurd because I wanted to break that rule. And that's precisely what the law does in our hearts. No matter what law it is, that law informs us of what's wrong. And oftentimes, we will go to the absurd to declare our independence from God. Because that's exactly what sin is. Sin is a declaration of independence from God. And there are things that God says not to do. There are things that God wants us to do. And we might not verbalize it, but through our actions, we act it out. And there are times that we will go to absurd levels just to be disobedient. Every single one of us. Because when you think about it, like, why are we so stuck on that particular sin? Because we want to be independent. So Paul appeals to you and I, Romans chapter 6, verse 12, let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its desires. So what is this thing we call sin? Let's define it. Again, sin is not a popular word. It's something we get stuck on, though. Sin is not a popular word in the culture, and dare I say, it's not even really a popular word in the church. I was just kind of reading up on, you know, what people, what they're saying about sin, and I ran into article after article of guys saying, well, maybe we should just rebrand sin. You know, maybe we should call it mistakes, or maybe we should call it this or that. You know, just different things that really water it down. I'm like, why are we afraid of this word sin? Now, I, I get it. If you knew that I was going to talk about sin today, it's like, what's Pastor Andy talking about today? Oh, he's going to talk about sin. Mm, let's wait till he talks about like hope or something really happy, right? I, I understand, like if we talked about sin, just the topic of sin every week, he'd be like, okay, can we talk about something that's like more positive, right? But here's the deal, the depths of the positive, the depths of, of the promises that we receive in the Almighty Lord, uh, we, don't, we will never know those depths if we don't know what we've been delivered from. And so sin is an important thing to understand. It's unpopular. Um, and here's the deal. Sin is, is something that is not just to ruin your, you know, like, oh, let's talk about sin. Oh, they're just going to talk about things that I can't do, and that's just a roadblock to my happiness. No, it's not a roadblock to your happiness. It is it, talking about sin and understanding uh, of what God desires for your life is actually the pathway. It's the pathway to understanding and living in his promises. The word sin means transgression, means to miss the mark. It's uh, often, it was an archery term. Uh, when, our, when someone would uh, get their bone arrow out, put it towards the, the target, and they would miss the bullseye of the target, uh, they would call that a sin. Literally, it means to miss the mark, to miss the bullseye of God's holiness. So my question is this. If Paul is pleading with us for sin not to reign in your heart, what is reigning in your heart this morning? What has that seat of your attention? What is sitting in the seat of, of your affections? What is, seating, what is sitting in the seat of your worship? What reigns in your heart? I mean, this is even more controversial. So sin, yes, it is a declaration that there's something that is displeasing to God. It's a black and white statement, right? right? We like to be shades of gray in the culture today, right? Uh, we like to say, well, you know, that's good for you, but that's not good for me. Right? That, that's what the culture preaches, 
But sin is all the opposite of that. It says, no, God tells you to do this or not do this because it's pleasing to him or displeasing to him. But yet what's even more controversial is this word, reign. The word reign is a word that is used uh, for one who has authority or has kingship over somebody. Without Christ, we're told here that sin has absolute power over you. And again, this idea is not popular because uh, it assigns uh, that something is actually over you or controlling you, that we're not independent. I mean, we like to think that we're independent, right? We like to think that we're fully in control or that we can take full control of something. When life seems out of control, what do we try to do? We try to demonstrate our control, but we feel even more out of control, don't we? But yet, we love that, feel of, that feeling of control. I've said this before, but oh, it got even worse. But my daughter, Edda, I've mentioned this before, whenever she wants to tell me how independent she is, she does this, I can do it myself, right? I can do it myself. Well, it got even worse this week. I was trying to help her out with, a, with, with some schooling, and, and, and as, I'm, um, as I'm sitting there with her, she goes, Daddy, I gotta tell you a secret. Yeah? I lean my ear in. I can do it myself, right? (laughs) Oh man, add six more years to this and I'm gonna, yeah, this is gonna be overrated, right? This isn't gonna be cute anymore, right? It's cute when it's someone who's six years old, but listen, that spirit doesn't really leave us, does it? I could do it myself. God, I don't need to pray to you, I can do it myself. Oh, don't tell me that's sin or not, I can do it myself. Oh, you know what, this might be out of control, I could do it myself. Sin is the declaration of independence from God in saying that you know more than God. But listen, when you're feeling independent and your independence away from God, know this, sin is actually reigning and ruling your heart. You are enslaving yourself to something else. You know, we look into what's being preached in culture today, and it feeds into this idea of our love of independence. You know, look deep into your heart. Find what makes you happy. Be true to yourself. I mean, these are, these are things we've heard in the 1960s, right? And they're, and they're on fire today. So in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, in the spirit of positivity, kids were told, you can be whatever you want, right? I was told that countless times. You can be whatever you want, okay? And I realized they were lying to me, right? But they've doubled down on it. Now it's not only that you can be whatever you want. Now it's you can name yourself whatever you want to be. You can literally be whatever gender you want to be. You can be whatever you want to be. What we are saying to kids as young as three is you can be your own God. Oh, they're not saying that, but that's what implicitly what we are saying is that if you can do whatever you want to do without ramifications because it's just you and you're going deep in your heart and you're being your true self, you can stand in the place of God. Woo, how did we get there? How did we get to that spot? It's because we are preaching to ourselves and we're in an echo chamber of our culture that you can be independent And the only person that you are accountable to yourself is yourself. I can be my own authority. And I'm gonna tell you this right now, church. Being your own authority is a myth. It's a myth. The myth of becoming your own God, doing doing what you wanna do. It's it's, it's literally a mixture of, of Sigmund Freud on the psychology side, marriage of the philosophy of Karl Marx. It has more to do with that than it does the resurrected Jesus and the Holy Spirit in your heart, right? In fact, it's had terrible ramifications, our, our declaration of independence from God. 
Carl Truman says it this way, the self was psychologized, and psychology was then sexualized, and finally sex was politicized. And that what is politicized has been commercialized. His point is this. When one's goal is happiness, if your goal is to be happy, the morality will always be on a sliding scale. Morality will always change. It will not be a, an authoritative, is that sin or is that not sin? It'll be what matters to the moment, right? What, you know, what's the group think on the situation, right? Uh, what's been commercialized? I mean, holy cow, once corporate America gets behind something and they all get in the room and decide we're gonna do this something, they shove that message down your throat, don't they? I'm just going to read that, this quote again from Carl Truman. What was psychologized, psychology was then sexualized, finally sex was politicized, and what was politicized has been commercialized. So it's, how, how does this affect the family? Well, the nuclear family is no longer needed. And, and let me tell you this, uh, the, the family, the nuclear family the, uh, of a father and a mother in a child's life, uh, that is scientifically needed in the, in the child. This isn't just a, a biblical, and it is a biblical blueprint that we see that God laid out in the book of Genesis that carries on all the way through scripture, right? Uh, but it's, there is science behind that children need nurtured by a father and a mother. Now, I know there are single parents in this room for various uh, reasons. And I want you to know right now, if you're raising your child by yourself, you are my hero. In church, we need to come alongside those who are single parents. But I want you to know the blueprint of what we see for a family is the nuclear family, but that's under attack today because uh, we're being told that, that kids don't even need a father or mother. They, they, can, they can be a combination of a number of things now. But it's not just what's happened in the last five years. It's been going on for 40 or 50 years. When the nuclear family felt like they had to keep up with their neighbors, they made a requirement that you had to have a two people working in the same home. Now listen, you can, I'm not talking about dual incomes are a bad thing. I'm not, don't mishear me that, okay? If I were to say that, that would be legalism, okay? Uh, because God's word doesn't say that you, dual income families are bad, okay? But here's the deal. When you are required to be a dual income family because you want a certain standard of life, wisdom will tell you you're gonna sacrifice sometimes very key things. And so, the thing is, sometimes we have to be dual income because we need to be. Other times, though, we want to be dual income and we're going to work, 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 take all the extra hours, all the extra hours. And what we do is we take uh, the kids and we put them into schools to be parented. And there's been huge ramifications of this. Kids need their parents. And again, uh, not, not saying that uh, you have to do certain things. Listen, you, both people can work out of the home. That's awesome. You just need to be intentional with having kid time. Okay? Family has changed before our very eyes over the last 40 years because that moving mark of morality. What about the church? The church has moved from the center, uh, the center of society, and it's moved to now to the sidelines of society. Uh, now, this doesn't actually bother me. Did you know that? This doesn't bother me that the church is on the sidelines. This is where the church was in the New Testament. Uh, when we read the pages of the New Testament, we see that the church wasn't this honored institution in the center of the city. We see that they were marginalized and on the sidelines. And so when the church is marginalized and on the sidelines of society, guess what? We're acting more like an Acts uh, chapter two church, right? And so 
it used to be even a couple decades ago that people would just kind of wander randomly. I think I'm gonna go to church, and that still happens. But I wanna tell you increasingly what needs to happen, church, is we can't wait for people to come to us. We must go to them. We must invite people, save that seat next, next to us at church, we have to be intentional. And guess what? This isn't a downgrade that this has to happen. This is actually the blueprint we see in the book of Acts. So whether the society recognizes God's authority or not, something rules your heart. You are not your own. Something is sitting on the throne of your heart and it affects how you see God move about in this life. In Christ, you're not to live uh, as you did before. You are to live New To live new is less about you and it's more about Jesus. To live new frees you from the reign of sin. Sin no longer has reign over you because you're under grace. That means that through the power of the Spirit, you can flee sin. We've talked about what sin is. We've talked about how sin reigns in those who don't know Christ. We've talked about how sin wants to reign in those of you that do know Christ so that you're, you're considered uh, sidetracked for the kingdom purposes. But I want you to know if you are in Christ, you can say no to sin. Do you believe that? Uh, think of that sin that so easily entangles you. Have you bought into the lie of the enemy that that's just the way that you are? Oh, I have an anger problem. That's just what I, who I am. Right? You just have to deal with it, right? You know, you, you, you struggle with purity. Oh, just the way I am. You know, you just, just, just have to deal with it. No, every single sin that we struggle with can be beat, can, can literally be broken, uh, can literally be freed in your life. Christians, you will still sin. Uh, you are still a work in progress of being made new. But when you excuse your sin, you're playing into the hands of the enemy. You're not declaring what is reality. What is reality is if you're in Christ, the spirit of the living God lives in you, the same spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead who lives in you to break the hold of that sin that wants to sit on the throne that should be Jesus. So make no mistake, if you're a follower of Christ, the enemy can't have you, but he tempts you and he wants to make you useless for his kingdom. He wants you bogged down with your old life. He'll try to lure you even with new lusts he may tempt you, but you may struggle your entire life with that temptation. But know this, greater is the Holy Spirit than the temptation of the enemy. Greater is the Holy Spirit than the weakness of your flesh. Romans 6.13, but as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourself to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law, but under grace. So as a follower of Christ, sin is still a powerful force that you have to flee from. You will experience sin. You will experience temptations to sin. And there'll be a major, uh, but there is a major difference. Even though that you may be tempted to sin, what we see right here in Romans chapter, 13, or chapter 6, verse 13, 14, is that sin no longer reigns over you. Sin no longer is your master. Paul puts it this way later on in Romans chapter 12. I'll read it for you. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Through Jesus Christ, he has overthrown the reign of sin in your life. Let's get that in our minds. When you're feeling like you're struggling with that particular sin, that thing that you've been struggling with for years, maybe even decades, that reign of sin has been overthrown by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's gone. To replace sin with a life of worship, 
and a body that is no longer to be used as a weapon of unrighteousness, but I love this, a weapon of righteousness. That doesn't mean that uh, you go around and beat people over the head with the Bible. That's not what the weapon of righteousness is, right? No, it means that your life literally is a weapon against the kingdom of darkness, that your, your life literally is moving the kingdom of God forward, that your life literally is bringing fame and glory to Jesus Christ because sin has been overthrown from your life. It no longer has rule. Sin wants that thrown back, though. Wants that thrown back. It's going to tempt you to be sidetracked, but you no longer have to obey it. When sin is beckoning, and oh, it's going to sound good. Sin is a good salesman, right? It's going to beckon you into those certain things. I want you to know, no matter how powerful you feel it, no matter how much you want it, no matter how much you're visualizing when you did that the last time, you have the power because of the Holy Spirit and the fullness of the Holy Spirit to say no. No, I dare you to just to say no. You might feel so weak when you say it, but I want you to know when you are weak, he is what, church? He's strong. This is our declaration of independence from sin, and this is our declaration of dependence on the almighty God, Jesus Christ. So what is trying to pull Christ from the throne of your heart this morning? What is it? Name it right now. What is trying to sit on the throne of your heart right now that is not the Lord God Almighty? Whatever you named, flee from it. Flee from it. Is it someone that you're dating that they're asking you to do things or asking you to stop believing in Jesus or they're saying you're just too much of a Jesus freak, you need to tone it down? I'm gonna tell you this right now, flee from it. Is it that you're so worried about your future that you can't enjoy the goodness of God right now, that you can't enjoy uh, what he will do because you're so afraid of that certain things won't pan out? I'm gonna tell you, give it to God right now. Are you getting into trouble online because you're by yourself and you just keep on going back to that website? I, I got a good idea for you. Flip phone it, right? You go to that phone store right now and you say, I need your, your least uh, technological flip phone. And they're going to look at you crazy and you just smile and say, thank you when they hand it to you, right? Because here's the deal. Nothing is worth you being entangled and enslaved to a certain sin. You're spending money on material things that you know you don't afford or maybe that you're finding value in and you're racking up debt. Guess what? Get those scissors out. Start cutting up those credit cards if that is entangling you and indebting you. Are you putting things of God on the back burner? Because your schedule is just too full? Because you have affections or you long for other things besides God? You need to reorient your life now. You weren't made for those other things. When Christ is on the throne, the Holy Spirit empowers you to grow in Christ. You are meant to grow, to live new. You gotta be made new, which you are, which means you're to grow new. You can now begin to see, when you begin to grow, you begin to see sin for how God sees it. Sin is an affront to his holiness. It's an affront. You realize just how, how, how much it just demeans the glory of God. It's not a small thing. And when you begin to see it in this way, you begin to resist sin instead of letting it master over you. Something is sitting on the throne of your heart. What is it? Verse 15, or let's do this. Let's do our, point, our second point. Our first one was to live new frees you from sin's reign. Secondly, to live new frees you to live under Christ's reign. So it's the opposite. When sin gets removed from that throne, guess what you are free to do because of the grace of Jesus? You are free to live under Christ's reign. 
Verse 15, what then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? Absolutely not. Uh, this almost seems identical to uh, Romans uh, chapter 6, verse 1, which we read last week. Uh, people were accusing Paul of, of freely sinning if you were to live under grace. You I mean, if you live under the grace of Jesus, if he saves you not by your works, if he holds you in the clutch of his hand, then what motivation is there for me uh, to live for Jesus? And as we talked about last week, that if that is how you view Jesus, you might have missed Jesus altogether. Because when you realize what Jesus has delivered you from, the last thing you're gonna wanna do is demean Jesus by living however you wanna live. So he repeats this just so, you know, we could hear it in the back, right? Verse 15, what then shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? And here it is, a strong word, absolutely not. You can translate this again. No, 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 no. The very reason for God's grace is not so that you can sin further. The very reason for God's grace is to free you from sin to break the bond, the bondage of sin. Romans chapter six, verse 16. Don't you know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of that one you obey, either of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But thank God that although we used to be slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching in which you're handed over. And having been set free from sin, you became enslaved to righteousness. Now I'm using human analogy because of the weakness of your flesh. So Paul wants to demonstrate even further that when we allow sin to reign in our hearts, it's actually doing this. It really does have control over you. And he uses a very strong word. He uses the word slaves. Slaves comes from the Greek word doulos, which means bond servant or even indentured servant. Slavery historically, one human being enslaving the other human being, I want to just put this out here, is absolutely evil. Slavery is an indentured servanthood. We, we, we witnessed the people of God in Israel being slaves to the nation of Egypt, and it was evil, and God delivered them. Slavery is evil in, in treating humans as property, as we've seen in the ancient world, or even the more recent history, and even our own nation's history, the evil of chattel slavery. The evils today of slavery continue. Their slavery continues in, in the modern Muslim world. Slavery continues even in our own very country today through the sex slave trade. Slavery is evil. So why is Paul using this term? Because he's using this term to show us that we are under the control of something. And he says again in verse 19, I'm using a human analogy because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you offer the parts of yourself as slaves to impurity and to greater and greater lawlessness, so now offer them as slaves to righteousness, which results in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free with regard to righteousness. So what fruit was produced then from these things you are now ashamed of? The outcome of those things is death. So Paul is flipping the equation. Where sin, if you're not in Christ, is ruling, you're enslaved to it, you're enslaved to the very desires of your, your sinful nature. Uh, you, you, you obey its hunger. You obey the thirst, right? You're free from that when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, but it's not free to what you can do whatever you want, what the critics of Paul were saying. Oh, so you're free from that, so you can do whatever you want. You can be your own boss. No, the script's actually being flipped. You are now slaves 
to Christ. How could this be? Some of you are thinking. Well, 1 Corinthians 6.20 says this, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. Think about this. We were purchased, which means you were redeemed. You're redeemed from being enemies of God. You were redeemed by Jesus Christ going to the cross and standing in your place, taking on all your sin debt, and he paid it in full. He bought your life with a high price. It was the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Everything in this world is the Lord's, but only those who receive Jesus stand in this forgiveness. So we are to honor him, not to sin, but to honor him with our lives. You've probably heard this old saying, you play with snakes enough, eventually you'll get bit, right? Eventually you get bit. Well, same goes with sin. But I will say this, the difference with playing with snakes, you might get bit eventually, Sin will bite every time. There's consequences to sin each and every time. Sin doesn't stay isolated, it grows. Look back at verse 19. Again, when you offer the parts of yourselves to slave of impurity, it leads to greater and greater lawlessness. Now, we often think of when we just sin, uh, like, you know, little, little small sin. We've all done this. We're like, well, I'm in Christ, it's just a little sin. It'll just stay right there, Right? What we see right here is sin doesn't stay in a small spot. It begins to grow. It begins to metastasize throughout your mind, throughout your heart, throughout your words. And so as an example, someone may say, well, it doesn't matter if I get drunk on the weekend. It's in the comfort of my own backyard. You know, listen to the game. Somebody might say, oh, it doesn't matter if I take a second look. I know they're not my spouse, but nobody knows. Nobody has to care, right? It's just my private life. Why do you have to speak into my private life, right? Did you know that God can see everything. Did you know that God is everywhere? You can never run out of his presence. There's no such thing of a private life before Almighty God. And sin isn't just to please, not to sin, isn't just to please somebody else. Ultimately, not to sin is because we want to please Almighty God and do what he loves. When we choose to sin, sin is to say, God, you got it wrong. We need to trust God in one area. By the way, it won't be long before you distrust God in many, if not all areas. It is a slow fade. We're like, I don't trust God there, or I don't believe the Bible there. Guess what? It will be a slow fade. If you could fast forward a year later, guess what? It's not going to get better. People do not accidentally step into orthodoxy. You have to intentionally uh, read the word of God, trust the word of God to be aligned with the things of God. What people accidentally do is they step into heresy. They step into things that aren't of God. That's what happens. If you just want to live an accidental uh, Christian life, you're going to end up so far away from the word of God, you don't resemble the Christian life. You're going to, you're going to be so far from the word of God that the Jesus that you say that you follow is not a Jesus uh, that looks like the Jesus of the Bible. It looks more like the Jesus of your making. Oh man, that is a problem right now that I see in the Western and church world is that we want to make Jesus look more like us. We need to be made more to look like Jesus. Verse 19, so now offer them as slaves to righteousness, which results in sanctification. Latter part of verse 19, I'll read that again. So now offer them as slaves to righteousness, which results in sanctification. When we say yes to Jesus, he becomes our master and our Lord. He's the boss. He's the boss. And when we offer ourselves as slaves to righteousness, 
it results in, here it is, sanctification. Sanctification is a progressive work of God and people that make us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives is a progressive work of God in people that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual life. The process of sanctification is a process of growth that lasts a lifetime. When you place your faith and trust in Jesus, you're justified, which means you're declared not guilty. Grace allows you then to grow in a lifetime called sanctification. So this is where people get it mixed up. Is you're justified, that is declared not guilty, because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you. Jesus did it all. Sanctification is the response to justification. It's a response to your salvation. Because of what Jesus did for you, you want to grow in him. When people make sanctification, salvation, like, okay, I'm gonna do this, that, whatever, and then I'll get saved, that's no longer the gospel. Uh, That is works-based salvation. Jesus rejects that. So I'm gonna put up a table for you. I'm gonna get a little geeky for you here. All right, this is straight up from Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. So justification, you are justified in Jesus when you place your faith and trust in him alone. Justification is a legal standing. You're declared not guilty. It, when you're justified, it's once and for all. It's something that you don't have to do again. When you receive Jesus Christ as savior, you're saved, right? Uh, it's entirely God's work. That means that God is the one that did the work for you to be saved. Why? How do we know this? He went on the cross. He was fully sufficient. He said it is finished, right? Entirely God's work. It's perfect in this life, which means you don't have to improve on it. Some people are like, okay, I think I need to improve on the gospel. I need to, you know, the gospel doesn't really cover this area of life, so I'm gonna improve here. No, it's perfect. You don't need to tweak it. And it's the same for all Christians, which means this. When you place your faith and trust in Jesus, guess what he's gonna do? He's gonna receive you. He's not gonna look and say, well, you need to do this, that, whatever first. No, it's for everybody. So justification is a work of God. When you place your faith and trust in Jesus, he declares you not guilty, he declares you saved. Now, when you're saved, here's our response. It's sanctification, we're to start growing. So unlike justification, sanctification isn't a legal standing, it's an internal condition. You begin to grow from the heart. It's continuous throughout life. Uh, We cooperate in this, which means that it's not just God doing all the work. You're not just gonna sit in the chair and like, okay, God, sanctify me, sanctify me, sanctify me. No, that means we have to be obedient in what God said to do. We have to walk in it. We have to cooperate with it. It's not perfect in this life, which means that he's constantly growing you and building you until he calls you home or he comes back. And it's greater in some than others, meaning that we don't look to each other to be sanctified. We look to the Lord God Almighty to be sanctified and we encourage each other in that sanctification. It also means this, is that you can come to know Jesus Christ and you can be stunted in your faith never, and you could grow and be a baby in your faith, which is a tragedy, but the Bible says, pour some gasoline on that. Get to know the word of God and be filled with the Holy Spirit because when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're able to do what God is asking you to do, not in your own strength, but the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's an important, this is important dichotomy. When you mix it up, When you put sanctification alongside justification, that's like saying, okay, I need to have faith and grace and something else. Don't do that. That's no longer salvation. Sanctification is the response to salvation. All right, class time over. (laughs) Sanctification begins at salvation. It grows throughout your life. It's not incomplete until the end of your life. So our purpose in this life isn't to be relevant or popular or to be liked on social media with more likes than your friend or to have more views or more influence. 
It's not uh, about, you know, how accepted we are by our neighbors. You are not made for these things. I'm not telling you to be obstinate, but I'm just saying you are not made for these things. You are made to grow in the purposes and plans of the Lord God Almighty. So, is that your life? Is your life about making much of God? Is your life about being sanctified and increasingly growing in the things of God? The Westminster Confession of the Faith, it says it this way, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. I love how John Piper tweaked this. He said, the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. The psalmist says this in Psalms 34, eight, taste and see that the Lord of good. The psalmist says this in Psalm 37, four, take delight in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Jesus said this, seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added unto you. We're to taste and see that indeed the Lord is good. You have been freed to live underneath the reign of Christ in your life, to grow in the things of God. And it leads us to the third thing. To live new now frees you to live for eternal purposes right now. To live for eternal purposes right now. Romans 6, 22 through 23. But now, since you've been set free from sin, you've become enslaved to God, you have your fruit which results in sanctification. And the outcome is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This new life immediately leads you to the purposes of Jesus right now. And the purposes of Jesus isn't something just temporary. It not only lasts a lifetime, it lasts in eternity. And what I love about Romans 6.23 is Paul takes us to a fork in the road. It's decision time. What route are we going to take? Are we gonna take the route of our own life and be our own God? Or are we gonna follow the gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord? The gift of God is a reminder that life is not fair, and that's a good thing. Did you know that? Life's not fair. I mean, I can just think of our kids, you know, whenever we have like pizza, they had more! Right? Maybe it's at your job and someone gets a promotion. They're like, oh, I, I deserve that promotion. That's not fair. Right? We can think of everything in life. That's not fair. People are fighting for fairness of what they deserve. And Paul's reminding us, you don't want actually what you deserve. Because what you deserve is this. The wages. A wage is something you deserve. The wages of sin is death. But Jesus offers us something we don't deserve, something unfair, and it's free. The grace of Jesus Christ that renders sin obsolete and we get to live underneath the Lordship of Jesus Christ who is fully in, under control, he's fully in control, that we can be under the control of the one who is in control, who is perfect, the Lord God Almighty, Jesus Christ, and it's not that he's just a way, he is the way, he's the gift of God. It's eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus did not come to be an add-on. Jesus did not come to be just a quoted good slogan. Jesus did not come just so that we can build a personal kingdom. Jesus did not come to improve you. He came to make you new because he made you new through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus came to save sinners, you and me, to forgive us of what we cannot free ourselves from. Man, we're so 
distracted by the temporary, that we forget Jesus and his purposes. But you know what the gospel reminds us of? It reminds us of that we need to be content. Content with the things of this world because it's temporary. Man, what are we not content with? Man, it's whatever we're not content with that is going to contend with the throne the Lord should be sitting on. Because here's the deal. The Lord makes us content in this world as we hunger for the things of God in our life as we grow. So to live new is less about you. It's more about Jesus. What do you need to do now? Where do you need to grow spiritually? Where do you need to become content? What's that area where you're just, always has your attention, it's moving you away from Jesus. What tries to sit on the throne of your heart? Uh, another way of putting this is, what is that sin that you easily downplay? And the fourth, this is kind of a, a weekly one now, isn't it? Who's your three? This isn't something that we just take in for ourselves. As Tom said earlier, we wanna reach our city. Who are the three people in your life that you're praying for, that you're showing care for, this random acts of kindness? sharing Jesus with, inviting them into the things of God, inviting them to church. Let's pray because today the Lord wants your heart. He wants your heart. So, so Father, we love you and we thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done, that you went to the cross, that you died for us in full, that you declare us not guilty when we ask you to be our savior, when we place our full faith and trust in you alone. Help show us where we're trying to go things alone. Help show us, God, where we're not being content in this life. Help show us the sin that we're downplaying in our life. Just allow the spirit of God to speak to you. And as you do that, I just want to speak to anybody in this room that doesn't know Christ. Today, Christ doesn't rule in your heart if you've never personally placed your faith and trust in him alone. It has to be personal. This can't be something that you just heard about, something that somebody else did for you or something you know, the ins and outs of it, but this is something that God wants your heart. Jesus Christ wants to sit on the throne of your heart. How do you do that? You acknowledge you've gone astray. You've acknowledged that you've sinned and you need him to save you. Jesus Christ did that by going to the cross. He went to the cross to die for your sins. And he paid for them all, all of them. The wages of sin is death and well, Christ died on the cross, but because he was a perfect sinless sacrifice, he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead three days later. He rose in victory. He is our remedy. When you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God rose him from the, bed, from the dead, the Bible says you will be saved. Cry out to him right now. Say, Jesus, I need you. Save me. Forgive me. I place my full faith and trust in you that you died on the cross to save me from my sins. We have every heads bowed and eyes closed. If that's you today, we just make eye contact with me that you're placing your faith and trust in Jesus today. I just want to pray for you throughout the week. Awesome. Awesome. 
Anybody else, just make eye contact. Nothing magical happens when we make eye contact. I'm just gonna pray for you this week. Awesome. Father, thank you for those that have said yes to you today. Lord Jesus, I pray that they would begin to walk in your ways, that they won't give up. Thank you that nothing can snatch them from your hand. Father, speak to us now. Where do we need to grow? Where do we need to be content? What sin are we downplaying? In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Again, if you'd like more information about Emmanuel Kenosha Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church. Also, we'd love it if you'd connect with us on Facebook or Instagram, both at kenosha.church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe to us on iTunes at Emmanuel Kenosha. That way, you never have to miss an episode. At Emmanuel, we are not perfect people, but we are people being made new through Jesus. Thanks for listening to this week's episode, and we'll see you next time on the Emmanuel Message Podcast.